0: So uh, a couple of weeks ago, we began a new teaching series straight out of Luke, and uh, if you brought your Bibles, uh, you can open them up to, uh, we'll be in Luke's, uh, Luke chapter 4 and 5, and we're going to cover a, a, ton of, uh, a ton of scripture today. Uh, and I want to tell you too, we've got reading guides. If you want to follow along outside on our, uh, on our uh, whatever that, that flat surface is out there, we've got reading guides. So if you want to read along, find out where we're at each week, you can do that. Uh, but before we get into today's teachings, I want to uh, I want to share with you some pictures. All right, so go ahead and put that first picture up there. Uh, this is my son Cannon. So for those of you who don't know, adopted uh, my wife and I. We adopted uh, our son from Ethiopia three years ago. So I just want to use pictures to to kind of tell you about that experience. So just just as we get started, and and you'll see why eventually, uh, uh, hopefully. Uh, so this is the very first picture we ever uh, got of our son, Canon. The very first one. Uh, we were actually at, a, I think we were at Mickey Ruse watching uh, uh, y'all's band play, and we got it. And Amy was super excited because we'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. We'd heard about this young boy that wanted to be adopted. This was the very first picture. And Amy immediately fell in love, and my first reaction was like, that is a funky looking kid. That <laughs> does not look right. Let's keep going. So they sent us more pictures. This is a, a picture we got, uh, while he was in Ethiopia you know, he said, uh, that, that was his birth name, Tariku and Kaufhold. And so let's just keep going. I'll tell you, uh, there, there was a little bit better one. We're like, okay, well we might adopt him. <laughs> All right. So will keep going. Uh, this is actually the first time we ever held our son. So, uh, uh, I know the the picture's dark and all that kind of stuff, but uh, we we traveled to to Ethiopia. Uh, They said, you'll you'll know plenty of time in advance, plenty of time in advance before you have to go, Uh, and so they called us on a Tuesday morning at 7 a.m. and said, can you be here on Friday? And so we did. We we made that happen. So the next day we were on a plane, we connected through Dubai, and uh, uh, we got uh, out of the airport and went immediately to to the children's home. and. Uh, I don't know if you can imagine like what kind of stuff we were feeling like at the I remember waiting at the bottom of the steps to go up to the nursery where he was at and to go into his room and hold him for the first time and Amy held him for the first time and he immediately like snuggled in and I held him the first time and he was like huh <laughs> keep going so here we are uh, uh, on each trip to Ethiopia through our adoption. We had to make two trips for about a week each time, and each time he stayed with us for a week. And so this is one of the pictures. We actually got to uh, Skype call back to the church uh, with you guys one Sunday and, and introduce him to a church family uh, all the way from Ethiopia, which was just a, a wild, crazy experience. This is us just sitting in a hotel at, a, at an Internet cafe, We're just one of our, uh, one of our first, first pictures. So we had two separate trips that we had to go. So imagine uh, we went from that picture the first time, seeing our son Cannon for the very first time, staying with him, keeping him for an entire week, and then leaving him. And we didn't know when we were going to be back, so that was tough. That was tough. Keep going. All right, so this is uh, on our second trip. Everything went through. This is actually uh, us bringing a seven-month-old on a 37-hour trip. Travel time trip from uh, Ethiopia all the way back to the U.S. Our longest flight with a seven-month-old was 17 and a half hours. So pretty exciting. I keep going. Uh, yeah, he, this is how excited he was. And uh, I would love to tell you that he just slept the entire way. But no, he was super exa- excited and awake and the whole stuff. So our whole plane was asleep. And our, our Canon was, like, pushing buttons and doing stuff. And there was one moment, it was like... We were so dead exhausted, and everyone was asleep, and he reached over and spilled a Sprite right in my lap, and so it was really, that was a God moment. Um, I was like, oh God. Uh, that's one of those. Let's keep going. Uh, I got to go faster. So here we are in the Dubai airport. It's, it's about 2 a.m. in the morning right now, but no, he's up, man. This is party. This is exciting. Let's keep going. So this is his very first Halloween, so we got him. Uh, we got him home. I think his gotcha date was October the 3rd when we actually landed home. And so uh, I think this was his first Halloween. He was a football. Uh, we were not very creative. Let's keep going. Um, I know it's kind of dark, but this is the first time, first Christmas, first time he ever saw uh, a, a Santa Claus type person. So he was kind of freaked out a little bit. But That's all right. was all right. Let's keep going. This is the first time he we went to the beach, crawled around there. Keep going. First birthday... Eating the cake, getting it everywhere. Let's keep going. Uh, this is the first time you heard one of my sermons. Heard uh, <laughs> teachings, keep going, yeah, yeah, I know. So first time actually being here, we, when we got here, we brought him up on stage and shared him with the whole family, which was really fun and exciting. Uh, uh, is that the last one? Keep going, all right, go ahead, go to that next slide. So I wanted to share with you uh, these pictures uh, because that's kind of how we communicate. That's kind of how we, you know, if you ask me to tell you the story of Ken and to tell you the story of our adoption, to tell you the story of our process, I I might show you a series of pictures. Uh, The way we used to do that is, go ahead and put that next slide up there. Uh, Some of you might remember these things, (laughs) right? Like we used to have these slideshows. Today we use things like Snapchat and these other things, but we communicate with people, we tell stories through pictures. And, and so even with Canon's story, it's, it's a picture that goes from places. So these pictures were taken in Ethiopia. These pictures were taken on the plane. These pictures were taken in Dubai in the airport. These pictures were taken here and there and all over. And these pictures, these snapshots along the way, they help us understand more about who he is. Now, Luke, in his writing, the good doctor, and his, as he writes... A journey of Jesus. He does the same thing, but he doesn't do them through through pictures. He he gives us word pictures. He gives us snap shots of Jesus along the way. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about John the Baptist, and we saw these pictures of him. and John is the forerunner. He's there to prepare the way. He he challenges us to prove by the way that we live that uh, that we are ready to receive the Son of God. Then we last week we saw a picture of Jesus' baptism. You guys remember, Luke describes this scene of Jesus going down and the heavens open up and the Spirit of God, like a, like a dove, comes and descends. The voice of Charlton Heston says, this is my son. Yeah. And he also gives us a picture of the temptation. That's where we spent most of our time last week, right? You remember this. So it's a picture that takes place where? In the wilderness. That's right. That's right. So, Today, we're going to cover a lot of scripture in chapters 4 and 5 of of Luke, and we're going to kind of, uh, what I want you to see is these uh, these Snapchats, I want you to see these snapshots along the way. So let's begin in uh, chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. It says, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power, and reports about him spread quickly through the whole region, and he taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. All right, so go ahead and show that picture. So this is Galilee. This is what it looks like. Uh, this is the Sea of Galilee in the background. Galilee is uh, um, the first place. It's kind of the first place this, uh, this, this, takes pl- uh, this, this story of Jesus begins. Uh, the ministry of Jesus begins in this place called Galilee. Uh, it's about 25 miles by 50 miles. Um, think uh, uh, for us like uh, Columbia to Bowling Green south to north, and west to east, maybe like Dixon to Lebanon. You guys get a picture of how big this is? So think uh, almost the size of middle Tennessee. Roughly three million people live there during uh, during Jesus' time, we think. Pretty densely populated, incredibly fertile land. Um, 19 different trees grow in this area of Galilee. The vine, olive, fig, oak, walnut, the palm, the cedar, the cypress, the the balsam, the bay, the myrtle, the almond, the pomegranate, the citron, the oleander. Are 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 you with me? Fertile, middle Tennessee kind of kind of land. And while he's there, Jesus taught regular. He teaches regularly in the synagogues. And it says in verse 15 that he was praised by everyone. A synagogue is uh, It's not the temple, not where you would go to offer sacrifices or do that kind of stuff. A synagogue is local. So. Jewish law said that wherever there was ten Jewish families, there needed to be a synagogue. It was a place of teaching, a place of instruction. And this place, Galilee, where this first picture happens and takes place, Galilee literally means circle. Almost like Middle Tennessee, you could circle it on a map. And this area where Jesus begins his ministry is a circle, and it is a specifically Jewish circle. It's, it's a Jewish island. And in fact, if, if I, I was more nerdy and I showed you the whole like Google Earth maps, I could show you that here's Galilee in the circle. It's a Jewish island. And around that island are non-Jewish nations and people all the way around it. They're, they're completely isolated. They're cut off. And that's going to be, become important later. So let's read a little bit more. Uh, let's read an extended section, uh, verse 16 through 30. Jesus in Galilee, he's in the synagogue teaching. In uh, verse 16, it says, When he came to the village of, what's the word? Nazareth, his boyhood home. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. We saw that last week, right? For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Keep going. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And he rolled up the scroll, and he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down so rabbis would teach sitting down, not not standing up. And all the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by his gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son, that that carpenter? You remember that guy? Then Jesus said, you will undoubtedly quote this proverb. Physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own home hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath. Yeah, whatever. in, In the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah. But the only one healed was Naaman, a Syrian. Now, look what happens. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were what? Furious. And jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. All right, so here we have another Snapchat. We have another snapshot of Jesus' life. Go ahead and show that image. This is, uh, this is Nazareth here today. You can go visit it. You can see it. You can get your passport and go, uh, and go there. Jesus goes to his boyhood home, um, goes to the synagogue. Remember, uh, when you go to the synagogue, sometimes they would ask guests or respected leaders to, to share a word or to, to read from the Torah, from the law, to, uh, to give a word of encouragement. Jesus is handed the scroll of Isaiah and he reads this incredible like passage about the Messiah, the one who is to come, and then he sits down and says, You know, that that thing that I just read, that's today. The one you've been waiting for is here. And um, the people begin by asking, wait, 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 hold on. Aren't you Joseph's son? son of Joseph, but if you remember last week in Luke's genealogy, Jesus is son of who? Even when he's tested in the wilderness, it's a test of his sonship. Jesus is the, remember what the devil says, that what Satan says, the tempter says in the wilderness, if you are the son of who? Ah, so he's more than just the son of Joseph. He is the son of God. And then this really interesting, peculiar thing happens in verse 15 it says that Jesus was praised by everyone, and then in verses twenty-eight and twenty-nine it says, People were furious and they tried to throw him off the side of a cliff. <laughs> a successful first sermon. <laughs> what happened? What happened? From from being praised and 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 everyone being amazed by what he said to the people turning and wanting to throw him off the cliff. His his own hometown. What did he say that was so bad? And the answers in verses uh, twenty six and twenty seven. In verse twenty six, Jesus tells him the story about Elijah and says Elijah was sent not to needy widows, but but to a foreigner. And then he tells the same story again about Elisha, saying that Elisha didn't didn't heal his own people. Elisha actually healed a foreigner. He uses two. Old Testament, like superheroes, Old Testament characters to demonstrate God's heart for outsiders. Now, remember, what does Galilee mean? Circle. Galilee, the Jews in Galilee have spent their whole life doing what? Trying to protect that circle. They spent their whole life trying to keep outside influences and outside teachings and outsiders out of their circle. You see how that works? And what does Jesus, <laughs> what's, what's he saying? He says, you remember those guys in the Old Testament, you, you, you know that this thing is bigger than your circle, right? That the year of the Lord's favor isn't just for, oh, y'all didn't think it was just for you, did you? And how did they respond? They immediately went to throw him off a cliff. Luke's Jesus, the picture he gives is, is incredibly radical, but also, and, and part of the reason Jesus is so radical in Luke is because Jesus is incredibly inclusive. In the the second half of Luke's work, Acts, the book of Acts, it says that those who have witnessed Jesus will go and be witnesses to every tribe and tongue and nation and people. He says you're going to actually go to everyone outside that circle. Even last week or or two weeks ago when we looked at John the Baptist, John the Baptist quotes Isaiah 2 and says that all people will see the salvation of God. Jesus' very first teaching is to take this idea of island, of, 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 of kind of this protective place. It says, Did you know the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and I've come to declare the year of the Lord's favor, good news, not just to your circle, but to everyone. In the next picture... As we move on, and I know we're going quickly, and, and I'm not going to share the verses. Jesus moves immediately after he passes through the crowd miraculously, and a, a demon-possessed man is brought to him. And this is going to happen again and again in Luke. And the demon recognizes who Jesus is. This is one of the incredible things about Scripture. The demons always know who he is. The people in Jesus' own hometown, they don't know who he is. This, isn't this Joseph's son? But when the demon is brought before him, the demon-possessed man is brought before him, what does the demon say? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And with the word, Jesus cast out the demon, and the people are amazed. In the very next picture, he, uh, Jesus is brought to uh, Simon's home because Simon's mother-in-law is sick with a high fever. And with just a word, Jesus rebukes the fever. Uh, I love these, uh, these healing stories in Luke uh, because Luke is a what? You remember? So these had to be like especially interesting and fascinating to him. And, and, and I love some of the detail that, that Luke includes because Jesus speaks a, speaks a word and the woman's high fever goes away. And uh, if you look, you can look for you can look at it yourself uh, in, in near the end of chapter four. But as soon as her fever goes away, do you remember what she does? She gets up and she prepares a meal for everyone in the house. I love that picture. Like, isn't that so true? Like, this is like, you know this is true. Like, just because that would only happen, you, you know that's just how, how we're wired. How uh, My first thought is, moms are totally like that. You know, like, okay, I'm feeling better. There's strangers in my house. Let's cook. It's time. Let's get the leftovers out. Let's get going. And I love that picture. But it doesn't stop with her. It says that, that no matter what diseases are brought before him, Jesus heals everyone. And word spreads, and people are amazed. The next snapshot, the next Snapchat happens in verse 4, in chapter 4, verses uh, 42 through 44. It says, Jesus goes to an isolated place, uh, but everywhere he goes, the crowds follow him. He goes to an isolated place to, uh, uh, he takes his business, but before he goes about his business, he takes his business before God, and you see him do that time and time and time again. It's a sign of his obedience. It's proof that he is the son of God. But the people find him and they search him and wherever he's at, they beg him. We want you to stay. We want you right here. We want you in this place. We want you to stay here in our circle. You see how that works? In verse 43, I think maybe I have that on screen. When he's invited to stay, when they invite him, hey, we want you to stay we want, we want to contain you. Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too because that's why I was sent. I wasn't here just for this moment and this spot and this space, but there's a, bigger, there's a bigger thing happening. The next picture comes in uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. It says one day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. And stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Go ahead and show. I think I have an image. So this is a uh, uh, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Right, pretty cool. Maybe some of you uh, have been there or or traveled there. Um, The Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long. It's eight miles wide. And uh, this is really, uh, I I know maybe we don't see it, we don't recognize it right off the bat, but it's really a turning point in Jesus' career. Um, Where was the last time we heard Jesus teach? Where was he at? You remember the Snapchat? The snapshot, where was he? Where was he teaching at? In the synagogue right in nazareth it was it was the expected place where if you wanted to to talk about theology you wanted to talk about god you want to talk about faith you want to talk about the Torah. the synagogue was the expected jewish place to teach but where's jesus he's on the shore now and what's he doing Rabbis don't teach on the shore. Rabbis teach in the synagogue. He teaches from the shore from, from a boat in, in a really unexpected way. And, and so while he's on this shore, while he's on this boat, like, like we would know who would be in the synagogue. Who goes to the synagogue? Jews, right? Gentiles aren't going to the synagogue, Right? But who would be on the shore? Jews? Gentiles? Fishermen? The healthy? The sick? The injured? See what he's doing here? He said, I know know you have this circle of how you think this is supposed to happen. And already he's moving outside of it. foreshadows for us too because it won't be long from now before and he's going to teach in the synagogue again for sure but it won't be long before the door of the synagogue is shut to Jesus it won't be long before that opportunity to teach in that place will not be there anymore but Jesus what he's showing us I think is that his kingdom is far greater than this what he's come to declare, what he's come to do is far greater than this. It gives us a picture of a a much greater kingdom. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all people. Let's keep going. Verse 4 through 11. Here he is on the shore when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, We, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Uh, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter realized what had happened, He fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed, and Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, You'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. All right, so let's show that picture again. What does a carpenter know about fishing? Not, not much. Uh, and, and it's obvious in the instructions that Jesus gives to the fishermen so the, the Sea of Galilee is exposed to, to really uh, bright sunlight, uh, lots of heat during the day. And so during the day, the fish go to what part of the lake? The bottom, as far down as they could get. So uh, the fishermen fish generally, they fish at night. That's where they have the most luck fishing. Uh, only lunatics would go fishing during the day. That's not how you catch fish. That's not how this thing works the wrong time of day. It's the wrong method, methodology. Jesus is advocating, you know, the way you're, the, Jesus, what you're advocating is, is really all wrong. But what happens? There's such a dramatic catch of fish that people are awestruck. And I love a Simon Peter's reaction. I'm too much of a sinner. I, I, I can't even be around you right now. And Jesus' response to them is, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. One final scene, and I know, we've, I know we're going through a lot, and we're, we'll, try to, we'll try to wrap this up in just a second. The final scene comes in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, I think, verses uh, 12 and 13. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Jesus reached out and, what are those two words? And touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Leprosy is this, uh, they, they call it the living death. It's, it's, uh, it, it, it could be this, this horrible Skin skin thing and it it could be a whole range of different skin disease from uh, From from pretty mild to all the way to literally like parts of your body rotting off, but the the most terrible thing about Leprosy wasn't wasn't the disease itself as as horrible and horrific as it is But the most terrible thing about leprosy is isolation Um, Even in prisons today we use isolation right solitary confinement as, that's kind of the worst of the worst, right? And that's exactly what happens to, to lepers. Uh, imagine the psychological consequence of, of being isolated from friends and family and relationships and conversations. Imagine being isolated from touch. Lepers were hated by others until... They came to hate themselves. Uh, I love what uh, Dr. A.B. McDonald, he, he just had a quote about it, He said, the leper, the leper is sick in mind as well as body. And Jewish tradition, Jewish law says we don't touch lepers. We don't touch anything that's unclean because if you touch something unclean, then that makes you unclean, then that just creates a whole issue for, the, for everyone. That creates an issue for the entire community. So we don't touch lepers. In fact, lepers have to go around and they have, to, they have to pronounce to everyone, unclean, unclean, they have to pronounce untouchable, untouchable, untouchable. And so we live in this world where, where lepers are completely isolated. They're completely excluded. And yet Jesus does the most radical thing anyone could have ever done. We know he can heal with, with a word, right? We've seen it already. But Jesus hills with a touch and he breaks jewish law he breaks jewish tradition he breaks cultural norms he he does the most taboo thing the most unexpected thing that anyone could have imagined all right so let's try to wrap this up you got a bunch of snapchats you got a bunch of got a bunch of pictures you see them right Uh, and i know we kind of went through went kind of fast um Luke is trying to do something. In, in the same way I showed you pictures at the beginning of Canons, he, he's telling us a story about Jesus through pictures. So, so what have you learned about Jesus today? What are these, what are these pictures, these glimpses, these images? What, are they, uh, 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 what have we seen? What do they tell us about who he is and, and what he wants? What, what have these Snapchats shown us? I think if I was looking for a, a thread to pull these together, I, I think it would be verse 10 where Jesus tells a group of fishermen that said, no, 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 I'm, I'm way too sinful to even be around you. Jesus tells a group of fishermen, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And here's what I think. I think he's actually given instruction to us, to Christians today, that we are to be fishers of men. But how? How do we do that? What would that look like? Well, let's look at his example. Uh, well, if we're going to be fishers of men, that, that probably means we need to... Um, go outside of the synagogue. If we're going to be fishers of men, it probably means um, we, should, uh, we should take a look again at our comfort zones. If we're going to be fishers of men, it, we, we probably need to take a look again at, at, at things that are taboo. If we're going to be fishers of men, then that means probably that we're going to need to move in Unexpected ways. If we're going to be fishers of men, then we need to see a larger vision, a, a grander picture, a grander kingdom. Remember what Jesus said in verse forty-three: I, "I am, I am preaching the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns. That's why I've been sent." Uh, you guys know I love the church, and it's my honor to serve serve a church. I, I believe in the power of the community. Uh, of the local church, but I also know that if the church exists only to serve itself, we've failed on this larger mission. John Wesley said it this way. He said, uh, I love a commodious room, a soft cushion, and a handsome pulpit. But field preaching saves souls. How do you become fishers of men? You and I must risk going outside of our circle. We've talked about discipleship a lot in this church, and and sometimes people say to me, well, you know, I don't know anyone who's not a Christian. All of my friends are Christian. Well, it's Nashville, it's the Bible, but everybody's a Christian in Nashville, right? And Jesus says, don't be afraid, but your job is to go outside of your circle, outside of your comfort zone, this is the reason, he said, this is the reason I was sent. This is the reason you're sent. So I challenge you, maybe this morning, to, um, to consider again, what's your circle? <laughs> what are your safety nets? I challenge you this week to go outside of them. To go beyond them. For, for a kingdom purpose. And when you get outside of those uh, safety zones, when you get outside of your circle, um, I challenge you to move in unexpected ways. To see the lost and hurting, to see people in a different way. I challenge you to do what Jesus did and use these. Use your hands to touch people. They're going to be shocked and maybe they're not going to understand. But we become fishers of men by using our touch to touch other people's lives, to bring a word of encouragement, a word of hope. I'm not sending you to... (laughs) the popular, to the people that have their lives all together, that's not what this is about. I'm sending you to the untouchables. For us in our context, that's just going to be the, the, the people that are probably not very nice. Angry, bitter, hurting, difficult to be around. Uh, the ones that it'd be much easier just to stay in our house or stay inside the walls of our church. These are exactly who I'm sending you to, who, who Jesus is sending us to. He says, I'll show you how to fish for people. I want you to touch the untouchable, love the unlovable, forgive the unforgivable. This is the essence Of a kingdom that is for every tribe and tongue and nation and people. It's for everyone. Jesus gave us this example. Jesus did this. So must we. If we're going to follow him, then that means leaving behind our circles leaving behind our security and our safety, just like the fishermen did, to drop everything and to trust him. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. While they're coming up, uh, we're going to enter into just a space of, um, of communion, of worship. And for us, this uh, this space, a couple of different things happen. We've got communion tables set up around the room. We invite you to, to commune with Jesus. Uh, on these tables are the elements of communion, the uh, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, it's part of our tradition. It's something we do every week. We think it's so important to remember Jesus, to remember who he, he, he is. And, and for some of you, that may mean just a time of a, a quiet time or, 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 or a reflective space. But in scripture, that was never the intended purpose. Uh, it was called communion. It actually meant with others. Like it, it was meal It was something you did with others and so today i I challenge you maybe you need your quiet space and that's fine and and no one's gonna no one's gonna hinder that but i challenge you maybe to already now in this space to go outside of your circle go put a arm around someone bring a word of encouragement a word of peace share with someone else a, a prayer or a scripture or a verse there's tons of folks in our church that are hurting that that need a word of encouragement Take this moment to not just remember Jesus, but to follow his example. Maybe as you uh, spend this time, maybe share with somebody else some ways that you've kind of been staying in my circle. I've been in my circle a little too long. My circle has been really comfortable and nice and safe, and I don't know how to get out of it. Maybe ask for help or encouragement. If there's ways we can pray for you or serve you, we, we want that opportunity. Even if you're a guest with us, uh, I'm just going to move to the back and I'll receive you there. Uh, if, uh, if you're here this morning and God's placed it on your heart to be baptized or you have question, questions about baptism or, or discipleship or any of this stuff, man, that's, that's why we're here too. And so i 'll be happy to receive you, talk with you more. If, if today is the day like, uh, like it was for country last week, we have everything you need to be baptized. We, get, we got it covered. Uh, and, and you see, like, I'm, I'll go with you. That's what happened last week. Do what? The heater is fixed. The heater is fixed. Praise the Lord. Um, so, I'm going to say a prayer, and then I'm just going to dismiss us to this space. It's an important space, so I take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Uh, I thank you for your Son Jesus and the way that He moved. Even even the way that that Luke presents Him. Every picture, there's something for us to gain. There's some there, there's some some piece of uh, of knowledge to be attained, but it, it, God, it can't stop there. It can't just be this this ideological thing that happens in our head. It, it's got to be deeper than education. It, it's it, it's got to be transformation. And God, there, there's not a one of us here that. That, that can't be transformed by these words, that hasn't been transformed by these words. God, if it, if it doesn't reveal itself, if your word is, it's, you say about your word that it's, it's like a double-edged sword, powerful and effective, able to separate bone from marrow. And so, Father God, allow your, work to, your word to do a work in us this morning to produce a change in us. Let us consider the places that that we've been hesitant or afraid or self-protective. And Father God, let us us grasp a greater vision of what your kingdom is and what it's about. Maybe we've been hanging out in our circle a little too much and we need a a nudge, a bump of encouragement. Father God, let us be compelled by, by that statement to go and make... Uh, uh, to be fishers of men, Father God. Let us, let us grasp and meditate on what that means and what that would look like in our own lives. Father God, let us, um, let us be followers of you. Maybe this week we've, uh, we've kind of gone back to our own way of life, our old, or our old way of life, our old professions. But let us follow the examples of the, the men on the shore that day. Let's drop everything. Maybe there's something we're holding on to, and so, Father God, help us to, to let go of that, release that to you again, to trust you again. Let us embody the Christian life, a, a life defined by obedience to you in everything, not just in word, but, but in every aspect of our life are we being obedient to you. Father God, you're so good and so holy and so generous and forgiving. This word is so so powerful and inclusive and life-giving. May we receive it this morning as we enter into this time of communion, as we remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of your son Jesus. And it's in his holy and mighty and powerful name that everyone together says, amen. I invite you to stand and enjoy a time of communion together.